Good morning, good morning, good morning. Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Dr. Sandra Fay is an old friend of this radio show uh, because she's our own. She's a past president of the Chicago Veterinary Medical Association and is now running for president. How's the campaign going? President, by the way, of the American Veterinary Medical Association. That's a big deal, Dr. Fay. <laughs> Thanks. No, campaign's going great. It actually is kind of just still in the starting process. We have a whole year, so the election's not until July. So just talking to people and veterinarians all over the country and helping figure out what their needs are and how I could help as president if elected. Now, this would be a tough time to be elected because there are so many issues. And I think the biggest issue for pet parents is, oh my gosh, my pet is sick, or I think my pet might be sick, and I can't get an appointment. Why is that? Uh, I, I know it's a complicated issue. It's very complex with lots of different thoughts on that, but we definitely know that there were more adoptions and new pets during COVID, and we also know that the visits increased. So even if you didn't have a new pet, you probably saw your veterinarian more. So um, definitely that is making a huge difference for if you can get an appointment or not. Indeed. And in addition to that, though, I want to talk about veterinarians. There aren't, it seems, where have they all gone? So on one hand, like a lot of professions, there were lots of retirements during the pandemic at some point in time. Other people have left the profession. I'm curious as to why that's the case. And not enough are coming in. I'm curious as to why that's the case. Yeah, really important question and not not a great answer. But so... Why not as many coming into the profession? For instance, um, the University of Illinois currently has about 50% out-of-state students. So where it used to be, I don't know, maybe 80% out of uh, in-state and only 20% out-of-state. So less are graduating from the state of Illinois and probably not staying. So that's definitely one of the, um, one of the reasons. And I do think that veterinarians, which as they should, you know, we, in the past, we worked 12, 14 hour days, five, six, seven days a week. And, and they're asking for a better quality of life and working a shorter days, um, still probably a 40, 50 hour a week, just not your 60, 70. So that's contributing. And then it's also really challenging to find emergency doctors. And I don't have a why to that, but definitely um, we don't have as many as we need. If you ever need to go in for an emergency appointment, you're often waiting six, seven, eight hours. And and some of them are even closing at certain times. So they're not truly 24-hour emergency clinics. Is a part of the solution to all of this more veterinarians? I mean, we need more veterinary schools and more veterinarians in the schools we have more veterinary students in the schools we have. And by the way, the same for technicians. That shortage we're talking about with veterinarians, the same is true for technicians as well, certified, licensed, registered technicians. Absolutely. So, you know, needing more veterinarians, that's a tough question because it's a long-term solution, right? It's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. Um, A lot of the schools are at max capacity and you know, they just don't have any more seats and can't have more students. So we need to come up with a more short-term solution. And I think one of those is utilizing our staff more appropriately and to their fullest potential. And that brings us to veterinary technicians. There's definitely a shortage, but what we also see with veterinary technicians is they tend to leave the profession much quicker than 
than we'd like. We don't want to believe at all, but much, much quicker than any other profession. And we truly feel that that's because they're not being utilized. There is a lot that veterinary technicians can do to help your veterinarian. There's certain things that are, can just be tech appointments, and that would free up the doctors to see more sick visits. So um, if we utilized our staff appropriately, that would help tremendously. And I, I feel like that is a short-term solution we should all get behind. Where does telemedicine or telehealth fall into this, in your opinion? It is extremely important. Um, so there's a, it's a huge range from, you know, a Zoom call to putting a device on your animal to monitor its glucose levels. So there's a huge range um, or a huge amount of things that fall into that, that topic. And I do think that if veterinarians learned to utilize them, then they would also have more time to serve more patients. A lot are already doing them, but I would say majority, majority are not. Now, in the state of Illinois, it still means, in most states, actually, you still um, need to come periodically to the clinic to see them in person. Um, animals can't talk to us like people can, so that client-patient relationship is really important. But if we utilize telemedicine, telehealth more efficiently, more frequently, we would be able to take care of more patients. Well, the number one reason why animals die, it's behavior. So for behavior consults, I'm thinking one way in which telemedicine or telehealth can be easily utilized is for follow-up. I mean, you can't, you can't see what's going on in the cat's litter box at, in your clinic anyway. Sometimes people don't want to bring in the cat because it's, well, a cat. Uh, but forget about cats. Even for dogs, you can better actually see what's going on in the environment of and so many millennials and generation z actually prefer that using a platform such as zoom or whatever the platform is or even their own phone anyway do you agree oh absolutely and behavior is probably the best example because you hit it right on the head you can't duplicate these behaviors in the clinic um not that it's exactly the same, but our dog trainer comes to the house versus me going to him because these are behaviors that are happening at home. So great example of where it would be really important um, tool to use to better care for the pet. Absolutely. I, like I said, I still think an exam at, periodically is important because some behaviors do have medical um, reasons for happening, but the follow-up would be tremendous this way. And another example, and yeah, I'm, I'm talking about follow-up here, but another mm-hmm. example for follow-up would be uh, pain. So your dog or cat is in pain. Your veterinarian gives you a multimodal approach. That's what you guys call it, which means, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got to balance four balls in the air at the same time or more, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and oh, there's that pill. And if I've got a cat, <laughs> is the cat going to take a pill? And, and oh, I've got to do all of these things all at the same time. What's working, what's not, again, to do follow-up and to watch a dog or cat go up and down stairs, that's not going to happen in an an exam room, obviously. So again, you're actually seeing the pet in the pet's own environment. I think that's the perfect opportunity for, again, technicians, registered, licensed, Mm -hmm. certified technicians to do follow-up. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I agree. There are so many good reasons to use telemedicine. Absolutely. But what about third parties? So there's a growing number of third parties that are doing telehealth. I want to ask you about that and so much more 
including how artificial intelligence is now happening in veterinary medicine. I don't mean me. I'm, I'm an example of artificial intelligence, but I mean artificial intelligence that's really smart. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back right here on WGN. We're talking with Dr. Fay. She is Dr. Sandra Fay, past president of the Chicago Veterinary Medical Association. And as we speak, you can probably see your campaign commercials on TV, is that right? Because you're running for president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. I will say I'm a little biased, not that I get a vote, but, you know, I want to see Chicago represented. represented. We did, Dr. Roger Marr. Uh, yes. St. Charles, he was the president <laughs> yep, of the American Veterinary Medical Association, what, about six, seven, eight years ago, somewhere in there? Somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. So, again, Chicago could be on top. I want you all to vote, even if you can't, because only veterinarians, <laughs> I believe, can vote. So, uh, we were talking about using telemedicine and telehealth, and now there are third parties. Not your veterinarian, but you go to a website, and that website has veterinary professionals that are saying, you know what? I would see your veterinarian about that. Or, you know what? I would do this or do this or do this. And they can say that because they are veterinary professionals. Uh, and maybe they send you to a veterinarian or maybe even the ER. Or maybe they just send you nowhere because it's not really a problem at all. But this way, you're at least seeing someone at a point in time where it's hard to see anyone sometimes. That's correct. Yeah. So with these third parties, you know, you have to be a little careful because like we talked about earlier, you really want to make sure the veterinarian you're talking to has seen your pet, understands your pet, and has a relationship with you as well. So that's real important. And a lot of these third parties aren't going to have that. Now, however, um, like you mentioned, teletriage, you know, if you're calling to say, hey, this is going on, should I go in? They can definitely help you with that. Um, and let you know whether you should rush, rush to the ER, rush to urgent care, um, or, you know, wait till the next morning for an appointment. Yeah, and I so think... There's the, definitely, sure, no, I'm sorry. So I think the triage is certainly a good, I, a good point. I understand that. But I think there's got to be some balance somewhere, and some things have to change, because the reality is there are more pets than ever before, and it's harder to get in to see a veterinarian more than ever before. But... I'll tell you, there's good news as well. And one of the pieces of good news is veterinarians can do so much more today than even, I mean, you're young, you haven't been practicing that long, but then compared to when you began to practice, I would imagine no comparison. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, One of the biggest things is, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is the Freestyle Libre. Um, And that is a monitor you put on your cat that monitors its glucose if it's diabetic, and then you can email those results to um, your veterinarian. And, you know, stress is huge with these patients and in cats especially. And if they're diabetic or if any cat that's stressed, their glucose goes up. So you get false readings. And so this really gives us better data and a healthier, a healthier and happier cat and owner for sure. <laughs> and technology-wise, there's so much more that you can do as far as Uh, cancer, you know, it's not a death sentence anymore, depending on the kind of cancer and the individual pet, but for sure, it's nothing like it was even five years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, there's vaccines for some of them. There's injectable treatments for some instead of surgery. So it's coming, coming a long way. We're not quite where human medicine is, but someday we will be. 
If you have one message that you can deliver to pet parents as a candidate, even though pet parents don't vote, what would it be? Uh, So I think the biggest thing, and I guess this is important for pet owners too, is communication. Communicate to your veterinarians. My message to veterinarians is communicate to their leaders. What are their struggles? Every challenge can be turned into an opportunity. We have some great minds out there, and we put our heads together, and we can do some amazing things. As you said, veterinary medicine has changed so much, and it will continue to change, but we need input from the pet owners as well as veterinarians to get there. Well, and that's the thing. So you go into the clinic, and your veterinarian says, your dog has... And, and you're looking immediately online. Right there in the clinic, you're looking online. That's a blessing in a way, I think, because so much information is available. But on the other paw, so much misinformation is available. Has the Internet been sort of a good thing and a bad thing for the veterinary profession? Absolutely. I, I think it's good to be informed. I think it's good to look, but realize that your veterinarian's the expert. They're the ones that went to school for their doctorate of veterinary medicine. So I think it's okay to look things up, take it with a grain of salt, and remember your veterinarian's an expert. Use it as a tool to give you questions to ask and to have a kind of a, ne- a frame of mind or a, a network of where you want to go. Um, but remember your veterinarian is the expert and ultimately knows more than what we call Dr. Google. You know, uh, I, I do want to talk in the three or four minutes we have remaining here about the stressors on yeah. veterinary professionals that I think the public isn't aware of. So every time you go in with your pet, I, I don't know that most veterinarians think about this. Practice managers might that a disgruntled client, disgruntled for appropriate reason or not, can instantly write a Yelp review and suddenly that veterinarian is attacked and becomes a public figure. The suicide rate in veterinary medicine is sky high compared to any other medical field. Can you comment on what I just said? Yeah, it is a big, big problem, um, huge concern. And I think the worst thing in my mind, that you can say to a veterinarian is, you're just in it for the money. Um, We go to school fully expecting not to make as much as NDs. We come out with an average of $200,000 in debt, and that's just an average. Um, It can be $400,000 plus. And we do it because we love animals. And it breaks our heart every day when we have to euthanize or if a client can't you know, do something for whatever reason, you know, whether it's economics or they just, you know, can't do the treatment, cats especially, right? You know that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it breaks our heart every day, and we we take that home with us. And, you know, that's the worst thing you can say, you know, to to a veterinarian because they truly, truly care. Um, And I think, you know, we have different issues in veterinary medicine. We, in, in human medicine, most people have insurance, and you're told what's best. You're not told necessarily what everything's cost, what everything costs, and we have that uh, issue. You know that that we have to have that conversation in veterinary medicine, and then we also have euthanasia, and again, so much guilt, unfortunately, with with that, and really taking it to heart, and it makes it really hard going from a sick patient to a puppy. Well, you said that's the worst thing that you can say to a veterinarian. You're only in it for the money, which veterinarians probably hear 
more frequently than I'm aware. What's the best thing you can say to your veterinarian? Here's a Starbucks coupon. Just thank you. Really thank you. Make a point of going out of your way and sending a card or a note. Um, the doctors in my hospital save all of those, and when they have a bad day, they read them. So a thank you and an acknowledgement that you're really happy with their services, with their kindness, with their empathy. I think that's the best thing. Well, always good to talk to you. It's been too long. Uh, Dr. Sandra Fay, past president of the Chicago Veterinary Medical Association and soon to be, in my humble opinion, the president (laughs) of the American Veterinary Medical Association. I can be biased, I think. I'm allowed to be. Uh, Dr. (laughs) Fay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. We know that the rise in subsidized spay-neuter access is a huge factor which helped drive the euthanasia numbers over the past 10 years or so in the United States down to where they are. Now, still, don't get me wrong, way too many dogs and cats continue to be euthanized, but it's certainly way better than it was. A lot of reasons for that, but yes, subsidized spay-neuter access is a big factor in all that. Having said that, when the pandemic hit, according to a new study, we saw less subsidized spay-neuter. The reason for that is veterinary services simply weren't offered in places when the pandemic hit. So we saw a sharp decline in surgeries beginning in March of 2020, a 22% decline, which eventually hit 80%. Is it back up to where it was? Well, not quite. We're still 6% below, but it's almost, almost back up to where it was. Now, the good news is that through this period, a record number of animals found new homes. According to the ASPCA, they released new data from a national representative poll of over 5,000 respondents confirming that close to one in five households acquired a cat or dog since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. That would mean about 23 million American households, based on the 2019 U.S. Census, now have a cat or dog that previously didn't have a cat or dog. That's a lot of people, a record number by far, getting a new pet. Now, what's the thing about relinquishments to shelters that's gone up? Does it have to do with that 6% that I talk about with spay-neuter? Uh, maybe very little. I, I don't think so, so much. It appears the pets relinquished to shelters over the past year or so weren't necessarily adopted over the pandemic. They were just pets relinquished. Some adopted over the pandemic, many not. For animals given up to shelters this year, surrenders are a result of behavior issues. That's always been the case, always, and it continues to be, and particularly mattering relating to housing and the economy. Those are the big reasons right now why pets are given up. It's not because, according to this study, people have gotten bored with their pandemic puppy. And the media's reported that, but that's just simply wrong. And they're not tired of the dog or cat. It's that it's the same old issues. Economy matters. Housing matters. And as always been the case, behavior matters. In fact, people that work at shelters can tell you, oh, the economy, something's happening with it really bad because people are giving up their pets. And every time something really bad happens to the economy, the shelters are among those that feel it first. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.